Good morning. It's good to see so many of you here. I apologize for the heat. It's about to get hotter in here, so uh, bear with. But um, as Dina said, we have been doing a series called Spiritual Gifts, and it's been just an incredible series. Again, not just for the church and in our moments here on Sunday, uh, but really as a leadership team, it has challenged us. A few months ago, we really felt we need to teach on this particular subject um, that many times churches run away from, but it's in the Word of God, and so we wanted to face it head on and really see what does the Word say about spiritual gifts. And if there's one thing that I have been encouraged with in the past few weeks is how utterly dependent we are meant to be on the Holy Spirit. And we started this series by, by talking about who the Holy Spirit is. He's not some energy. He's not some abstract force. He's not some, some feeling. He is the third person of the triune God that has created us and that loves us so deeply. He is not inferior to God the Father, God the Son. He is part of the triune God that we love and we are to be dependent on him. He is the reason that we can lift our hands to worship God. He is the reason that you can have faith in Jesus Christ and that the gospel can make sense to you. It is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if there's anything that you should take away from this message series is how dependent you are and need to be of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we so often treat the Holy Spirit as a guest. You know, like someone who comes and goes, and we have him over when we feel like it. You know, we all have those days. We have days where we just don't want to see anyone, and we want to be in our house, and we want to be alone, and we want to be in the mess that is our house. And then there's days where we feel like being with people. Ruben and I, usually it gets to Tuesday. We'll have Monday, like for ourselves, and then it gets to Tuesday. We're like, what's happening? Our daughter leaves her school. She goes, who's coming over? What are we going to do? And so we feel like having a guest and we prepare the house and we treat the Holy Spirit that way. It's when we feel like having the Holy Spirit and then we make sure that we, we play the right songs, we sing the right lyrics and we say the right prayers because after all, we want our guest to feel good and we want him to have a good time when the Bible says he is not a guest. The Holy Spirit comes and he wants to make your heart his permanent address. He wants to live in you. He wants to abide in you. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He wants to come into your life and he wants to change your furniture around. Like if he doesn't like the paintings you've put up and the color of your walls, he's not the type of guest that's just going to sit there and be quiet. Like he wants to change things around. He wants to radically transform your life so that it is less of you and more of him. And that when people look at you, they don't just see you and your life and your personality, but they see the spirit of God living inside of you. He wants to change you and transform you so that you can truly love God. God with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your heart, and so you can love your neighbor as yourself. He wants to change who you are for the glory of God. And he not only sanctifies us, but he equips us, he strengthens us, and he empowers us to live an incredibly adventurous life for God. And so Dina and Reuben, they spent the last couple of Sundays going through just six of the amazing ways that the Spirit wants to use us. Dina began with, with words of knowledge and with wisdom that by the, by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, 
that you would have the supernatural ability to look into someone's difficulty, to look into someone's challenge and be a blessing and pour wisdom and pour guidance into their lives. I was just having a conversation with a friend recently. It was a work-related meeting, actually. And then the conversation suddenly changed, and we went into deeper waters. And next thing, I'm aware of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and I start praying, give me some gift. Give me wisdom. Give me words of knowledge. Give me whatever I need to, to touch this person, because I sense there is an openness. And, and on my own, I can't do anything but Holy Spirit. And next thing, I start speaking. And this person, she starts to get emotional, and she starts starts to get goosebumps and I start to get goosebumps because the spirit is piercing her heart in a way that I could have never been able to do that is the power of the spirit and so when we become aware of him not as a guest but when we are aware that he is inside of us and he has good gifts and he wants to empower you and he wants to equip you and he wants to use you then you start praying a whole lot more and you start asking a whole lot more and he is faithful to use you and then Reuben last week he went through the vocal gifts the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and I'm loving this message series because as a church we are diving deep into charismatic theology and I know that those two words usually do not go together <laughs> And many of you heard the word charismatic and you kind of cringe and you kind of thought, did I come to the right church today? <laughs> because we, when we think, unfortunately, when we think of this word charismatic, our mind tends to, tends to go to these extreme type of Christians that have a tendency of going overboard. And they have a tendency of, of even manipulating the Holy Spirit or, or all out faking the gifts of the Spirit. And because of this, I grew up in a Christian world that feels like it's divorced between a charismatic and a reformed tradition. Between those people that, that, that are all touchy-feely and, and they kind of just go with the flow and then these people know they're serious and they have the truth. And you kind of feel like a, like a child of a divorce. And you go, over, you go over to dad's house and he's like, oh, they have lost it. Like your mom, she's so deceived. You, you better give her some book because she needs to come back. She needs to ring it in. And then you go to mom's house and she spends her whole time bad-mouthing dad too. And she's just like, man, what's he so angry about all the time? Why are they so upset? Always trying to defend God if he can't, like he can't defend himself. And you're kind of in the middle going, what? <laughs> what's going on? And the word of God has a correct interpretation. The word of God is truth and it has boundaries. But it should also give us joy and freedom and power. And so my prayer is that at Riverside, as we welcome spiritual children into the family, that we will not perpetuate this divorce. I pray that we will live in the reconciliation between spirit and truth. Why charismatic theology? Because the word charis means grace. Charismata means gifts of grace. Therefore, whatever theology we're trying to study should come through the lens of grace, should come through the lens of gifts of grace. The gifts of the spirit are gifts of grace. And so as we study in this series, we're not, even, we're not only just trying to understand the gifts and gain knowledge about what are the gifts, 
But we understand that they are a gift. They are undeserved. They are unmerited. You can't work for them. You can't strategize them. These are not techniques or methodologies that we as a church are trying to study. They are powerful and they are amazing, but they are gifts freely given to us for the purpose of love according to the perfect will of God. All right, so let's get into the message this morning. <laughs> for some reason, I got the hardest topic of this message series, and uh, my husband, Reuben, decides the sermon schedule, so I must submit my complaints to him. But the reason that I say it's the hardest is because these gifts we're going to go into today, they tend to be the most controversial gifts. The gifts of healings, the gift of faith, and the gifts of miracles. And yet, it is also so exciting for me to bring this word to you today. So let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, our main passage for this series. Starting in verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. All right, so because God has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity, but of love, of a sound mind, of power, we're going to start with the gifts of healings. So the gifts of healing are when the Holy Spirit supernaturally heals someone of their disease or infirmity. When he restores someone's health in a manner that cannot be humanly explained. In Acts chapter 3, we read in the Bible, it says that Peter and John were walking into the temple for prayer, as they usually did, when they walk by a man crippled from birth that calls out to them. It says in verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked, for, he asked them for money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Can we just pause here for a minute and cherish this moment. Peter and John were essentially going to church when they allow themselves to be interrupted by someone else's suffering. Like they could have just walked right past him. I'm sure they would have seen him before. They could have ignored him because they had a goal. They, they had a schedule. They were going to the temple for prayer. But instead, they are motivated by love to pray healing over this man, believing that even though he was crippled from birth, like he didn't just twist his ankle the day before. It wasn't like a small little thing that he had on his foot. He was crippled from birth birth but they believed that for God anything is possible and so this man he jumps up and he's walking and leaping and praising God when was the last time that you allowed someone else's suffering to interrupt your day as you intentionally pray 
for their healing. Not just the classic, somebody shares that they're, that they're, that they're in, in sickness or somebody shares a difficulty and you, you just kind of do the classic Christian, I'll be praying for you and walk away. But actually stopped and allowed their suffering, a person you may or may not know, to interrupt your schedule as you intentionally, believing that for God all things are possible, intentionally pray that God will heal them in that instant. Every Sunday, all kinds of needs flood this building as we arrive. With each person, sickness walks in, infirmity walks in, lack of hope, fear, all kinds of need floods this building. People in desperate situations where they need a miracle of God. And the only way that we will see the Spirit move miraculously in our midst is if we are eagerly desiring the gifts. What does that mean? Allow yourself to be interrupted and pray fervently for one another. Something I realized so strongly this week is that for God to use us in the gifts of healing or faith or miracles or really any any of the gifts, we need to be praying for one another. Praying for one another on a Sunday Praying for one another at life groups. Praying for one another when we hang out. Praying for one another when we're with our families. Praying for one another in our quiet time. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, pray continually. In other translations, it says, never stop praying. You need to be asking. You need to be praying. You need to be motivated by love, by, to, to empower, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that God may use you to relieve someone, that God may use you to bring change to someone's life. Pray, pray, pray. I can't say this enough. I want to be a church that is fervent about prayer, that is passionate about prayer, that when we call a prayer meeting, we don't just have three or four people. We have half the church. We have the whole church because we believe that it is in prayer, that God moves. It is in prayer that God can use you, that God can gift you. And pray not just in a group, but pray for somebody. Don't make a show of it. Don't need to make a show of it. Just go up to somebody and say, hey, can I pray for you? Be intentional in prayer. And in all things, let love be your highest goal. Because here's the thing. Seeing God heal is a life-changing moment. Like imagine this crippled man from birth, and next thing he just gets up and starts jumping. This is a pretty transformational moment, and it is a privilege to partner with God in bringing someone physical relief that will change their lives. It's incredibly amazing. And because of it, it may draw some attention. Actually, it may draw a lot of attention. In this particular story, the Bible says that the crowd, they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. But notice Peter and John's reaction. Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Through faith, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Immediately, Peter gives God the glory. 
Immediately, he gives God all the credit. Immediately, Peter sees an opportunity to share the gospel and take the attention away from himself and towards God, saying, what do you think? I could have done it? No, this was the power of God. You see, healing is not an end in and of itself. The point of a gift is not the gift. The purpose is always to edify and strengthen the body. The gifts of healing are meant to point people to Jesus. In another instance, Paul was used by the Spirit to heal a lame man. And the crowd reacted similarly. And they they were calling him. They even went overboard. They called him and Barnabas gods. In Acts chapter 14, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Again, notice how Paul and Barnabas reacted. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They refused to gain any kind of profit from the gifts. Freely we have received and freely we should give. It is so important that gifts are used for service and not for status, not for self-promotion, not to build our own reputation, but for the absolute glory of God. My friends eagerly desire this gift because it is magnificent to see God move in this way. But when you pray, don't ask God to make you a healer. It's not about you. Ask God to use you to be a blessing to others around you. How beautiful it is that God has ordained so many of his blessings to be given to us through others. If you think of it, the moments that God has blessed you through provision, through healing, through comfort, through wisdom, many times he has used people to pray that over you, people to be the answer that you need in your life. So the Holy Spirit can use you to heal others when they are sick, when they have cancer, when you know of someone who desperately wants to have a child but can't seem to get pregnant. When they twisted their ankle, the Holy Spirit can empower you to pray healing over people around you. That is why this gift is mentioned in the plural, implying different gifts for different kinds of healing. Now, before we move on, I do want to deconstruct a couple assumptions that people commonly make when we talk about the gifts of healings or when we talk about miracles and other gifts as well. Number one, assumption number one, if God has used you in a particular gift in the past, that is your gift. So people will say, if God used me in healing, then I have the gift of healing. Or if God used me in prophecy, then I have the gift of prophecy. But in the context of scripture, this is not correct and it is not biblically sound. First, because the gift is not yours. Just saying that implies possession, implies this is mine and it is not yours. It is always the spirits we do not hold on to the gifts as though they were possessions they belong to the spirit who distributes them to each one just as he determines and so if God used you in healing that does not make you a healer 
You were used in healing before and you may or may not be used in healing again. And if God has not used you in healing, that does not disqualify you from being used in healing. Keep pursuing love. Keep asking God to be used by him. Keep praying for one another and he will use you in whatever gift he determines for the best, for that moment, for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Second assumption. Now this one's controversial. So please, if you disagree with me, I love you. You love me. We can respect one another. Second assumption. It is always God's will to heal. Biblically, I cannot defend this position. God is sovereign above all things. He knows exactly what we need, when we need it. He knows how our lives intertwine with one another, how we impact one another. And in scripture, we find that sometimes God heals and sometimes he does not. Not because he is unable, but ultimately because he chooses not to. This was Paul's experience. God gave him the grace to heal the crippled man in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. Then in Acts 19, and he healed many people in Ephesus. And the demonized girl in Philippi in Acts 16. And Eutychus, when he was taken up dead after falling out of a window, Paul prayed for him and he was healed. But Paul could not heal himself from the thorn in his flesh, we read in 2 Corinthians, or from the ailment that he had when he preached in Galatia. And evidently, he could not heal Timothy from his stomach ailments. We read in 1 Timothy 5.23. And he couldn't, read, he couldn't heal Trophimus, whom he left ill at Miletus in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And so sometimes Paul was given the gifts of healings, and sometimes he wasn't. God is sovereign in this area. God is sovereign to do what he wants, when he wants. Nothing is mechanical or automatic. And you know what? Sometimes you'll be praying for someone and you think that healing is what they need when in reality, God knows they need something completely different. That what they need is for God to use you in wisdom, is for God to use you in comforting them, is for God to use, them, use you in, in helping them repent of their sins and come before God in brokenness. And so when you pray for healing, pray without doubting that God is able. It says in James chapter 1 verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Pray, believing that God is able. He is God who created the universe. He is God who aligns the planets and the stars. He is God who knows every hair on your head. He is God who is sovereign. Pray, believing that he is able. But when you pray, pray in humble submission of God's will. God does not owe us anything. The Bible says that when Jesus healed the sick, it says that he had compassion on people, that he had mercy for those that he healed. In Philippians 2.27, the same language is used as God heals Epaphroditus, one of Paul's friends. It says in Philippians, indeed, he was ill, near to death. Paul is writing a letter here, and he says, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God had mercy on him when he healed him. 
So we should pray believing that nothing is impossible, but there is a vast difference between faith in divine mercy and presumption based on alleged right. Healing is not our right. We become arrogant in prayer when we tell God how and when he should act. We don't always understand what God is doing, but we have to. Our trust needs to be greater than our stubbornness to want things the way that we want things. So pray believing that he is able. Pray as a child asks their father, seek this gift because the Bible tells us to. And sometimes, oftentimes, God will want to heal. And sometimes as you pray for others, he will give you the conviction and the assurance that he is going to heal this person. Now, this is called the gift of faith. The gift of faith, which is only mentioned in this way, in this context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is when God opens your spiritual eyes to see what he is about to do or how he is about to move. Now, this is different. The gift of faith mentioned in this context is different from everyday faith that you and I have. It's different from saving faith. We're all called and we're all given a measure of faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, for by, the, by grace you have been saved through faith. It says in Hebrews, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For who, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. But the gift of faith, again, only mentioned in this way, in this scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is a supernatural surge of confidence which rises within you in a particular situation and gives you extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act or God is about to move. It's the kind of faith that moves David to stand up against a Goliath when everybody else is scared, when everybody else is seeing in the natural that this is physically impossible to beat this giant and they are paralyzed by fear. This is the kind of faith that is given by the Spirit to David where he goes without any fear. He's just like, what are you all talking about? Our God is greater. It's the kind of faith that moved Peter to tell this man. He doesn't pray in Jesus' name. I pray that you will one day be healed. He tells this man, get up and walk. I believe the gift of faith preceded the gift of healing there, where he just knows that God is about to heal him. And then in Acts chapter 6, it says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now this gift of faith, it's not forceful. It's not an emotional reaction. It's an extraordinary type of faith given by the Spirit that will bring change and encouragement to others. It's when you know that you know that you know that God is going to move. Not because you want something so badly. Not because you, you prayed the right prayer. But because God has given you the supernatural faith to know and believe. The gift of faith in action is a profound absence of fear. Now, I believe most church planters are given the gift of faith when they start a church. <laughs> it is one of the most improbable uh, career paths you could take, <laughs> 
or the most illogical thing that you could do. I remember when Ruben and I, we, we, we planted Riverside Lisbon. We were in Riverside Cascais, which is a much bigger church, a much wealthier church. They're, they are situated in the town of Cascais, which you have a lot of internationals, well-off internationals. And so that's where we were serving. And then we felt that God wanted us to start a church in Lisbon. And we were in a little room for a few months with maybe five, seven people coming on Sunday. But I believe that was the gift of faith, of God showing us what would happen, of God showing us that people would be touched, that people would be transformed. And I remember when, when we decided, you know, we can't do both anymore because we were in Kashkaj in the morning serving. And then in the evening, we would come to Lisbon and do the service. And we got to a point where we just felt we need to go all in. Like, I know there's no money there. I know there's not a lot of people there. But we just, we have to go all in and just radically serve God. And people looked at us. I was pregnant with our first child at the time. And they said, how are you going to pay your rent? <laughs> are you sure you don't want to stay in Kashkaja a little longer where you actually have a salary? And we just, we felt from God, I can't explain it to you. We felt this blessed assurance that God is going to be there. God's going to back us up. Because he's doing something in Lisbon and he's allowing us to see a glimpse of it so that we won't have fear, but that we'll jump in excited for all that he's going to be doing. And so we've all been given a measure of faith. And as we live life with God and experience his goodness, our faith grows. The Bible tells us in Jude chapter 1 verse 20 to build each other up in our holy faith. But beyond that, seek the gift of faith, that God may use you above, over and above to inspire others, to edify others, to encourage others for his glory, to be aligned to his will in a supernatural way. And the gift of faith will often lead to the gift of miracles, like the examples that I mentioned with Peter and Paul earlier. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this gift because everything I've said above also applies to this gift. Like the gifts of healing, the spiritual gift is also spoken of in the plural. And the fact that it is plural in form may suggest that, in, that each separate miracle is a special gift as the need arises. God can do anything. Can you repeat that with me? God can do anything. Can you just internalize that for a second? Anything. Whatever problem you can think of right now, whatever challenge, whatever difficulty, whatever lack, whatever need that you are facing or the people around you, God can do anything. He can turn water into wine. He can part the Red Sea. He can have Peter walk on water. Just because. He can do anything. In Acts chapter 12, we read of a story when King Herod, he imprisons James, the brother of John. And unfortunately, this leads to his death. It's in, in the beginning of the church where the church is being, the early church is being persecuted mostly by the Jews. And, and he sees that as he arrests and kills James, he sees that this pleases the Jews. And so Herod has Peter arrested. And really his plan was probably to do the same thing, but he, he needed Passover to kind of pass. And then he was going to execute him after. 
The Bible says that the church was praying earnestly for Peter. And the night before he was to stand trial, the word says that an angel appears to Peter in prison. And he just calmly and simply says, get up. And as Peter gets up, the chains fall off of his hands. And the angel says, kind of, just come with me. And Peter goes with him. And next thing, they walk by the prison guards. And the gate, which is supposed to be sealed and locked, just opens up. And next thing, Peter finds himself supernaturally freed from prison. God can do anything. Now notice, James had been arrested a few weeks before, and he didn't have this happy ending. But it wasn't because James had lesser faith. And it wasn't because Peter was believing better or that, that the church was praying harder for Peter. In fact, the Bible says that when the angel appears to Peter, he thinks he's dreaming. Like he doesn't even realize this is happening. And then it says that when Peter shows up to the house where the church is praying, that this girl goes to the door, sees Peter, tells the church, and they're like, you're crazy. You must be, that's not Peter. <laughs> and so they were praying for it. But they didn't believe it, so we understand that this wasn't a lack of faith. It's not something we can do. It's not something we can earn. Just God, in his sovereign will, for the glory of his name, he had planned and he had willed that Peter would be miraculously set free. And so as you are surrounded by people every day, people with all kinds of needs, And people that more than their needs being met, they need Jesus. They need a revelation of who he is. They need to know their identity as a child of God. They need to know who created them. They need to know that, that this life, this isn't just it. That we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this life abundantly, but then we will live for all eternity worshiping the God who created us. People around you, they have needs, but their need, their greatest need is to know the truth. But God wants to use you. Can you say that God wants to use me? God wants to use me to do the impossible. To share the wisdom I do not have. To see into somebody's life in a way I couldn't do. To bring healing to someone when I have no power, I'm just a human. To bring a miracle, a breakthrough into someone's life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we close this series, and I'm going to call the worship team up, please. As we close this series, I want our church to be obedient to the word. To earnestly desire the gifts of the one who lives inside of you. Not as a guest. It's his permanent home. To pursue love above all things. But to be obedient in desiring the spiritual gifts. See, so oftentimes we use our experience as a way to justify our disobedience. Well, God, but I prayed for people. I prayed so many times for people and nothing happens. <laughs> and nobody was healed. And I didn't feel anything. <laughs> and so because of our, our fear of disappointment again, or our fear of, of not being used by God, then we, we disobey God and we stop pursuing the gifts. Because we say, oh, that must not be for me. I must just not have the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing or the gift of miracles. Maybe God gave those, those gifts to Reuben and he's holding tight to them and not sharing. 
Or maybe your experience is that you have been in churches where people have completely manipulated these gifts. And they've made God to look like a fool in the way that they pray and in the things that they do. And so we justify not, not being obedient. We justify not pursuing the gifts because we don't want to look like these other fools. We don't want to look anything like them. But the Bible says, pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. And so as a church, I want us to be obedient. I want us to be motivated by love. And I want to see change. I want to hear testimonies. I want to see people saying, I, I don't even know how that happened. But praise God. Not thanks to Cuban, but praise God. Cuban may have prayed for me, but I know it wasn't you, man. I know it was God using you. I want to see stories like that where you are used. And as you are used to be a blessing, wherever you may go, Lisbon, Portugal, wherever you're off to, that you will get to know God in an intimate way like you've never known him before. The gifts are not about feelings or emotions. They're about the Holy Spirit working through you and you just saying, here I am. I'm willing to be interrupted. I'm willing not to be so stuck to my schedule and just being aware of God's schedule, of God's plans, of what God wants to do. So I want to invite you to stand this morning. And as we worship, I want to ask you to just open up your heart. Open up your heart to hear from God. And tell the Holy Spirit, I, I, I want it. I want to be used by you. Whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, use me. Here I am. Send me. Use me. Pick me. May we earnestly desire him with all that we are, that we may edify one another and build each other up in our holy faith. Amen.